0: You have your Bibles with you. This morning I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 42, the 42nd Psalm. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can get one out of the pew in front of you and it's on page 384 in the pew Bible, Psalm 42. This morning we're beginning a four-part series entitled The Inns and Out of Depression. Depression is something that afflicts so many people. One News magazine called it a national epidemic. Many of you here this morning are struggling right now, though there may be a big smile on the outside, with a depressed soul. And if you say, well, I'm not depressed, (laughs) you need to store these truths away, because it's going to come knocking at your door one day, I'll guarantee you. Psalm 42, I want to read the whole song eleven verses as the deer pants for the water brooks so pants my soul for you O god my soul thirsts for god for the living god when shall i come and appear before god my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me where is your god when i remember these things i pour out my soul within me for i used to go with the multitude I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep, At the noise of your waterfalls, all your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance, and my God. Satan, our adversary, has a threefold objective in every believer's life. The author Ruth Paxson put it this way. I think she said it better than I could ever say it. She said his objective is to despoil us of our wealth to decoy us from our walk and to disable us for our warfare. And that's a good summary of what the enemy tries to do and he has no greater tool with which to accomplish his work than depression. Now, there are of course varying degrees of depression ranging from discouragement, which is a type of depression, from discouragement all the way to being suicidal. Um, According to the World Health Organization, in the year 2000, worldwide, depression was the number four cause of people being disabled, unable to function. It's estimated at current trends that by the year 2020, it'll be the second cause of all disability. In ages 15 through 44, it's the second leading cause right now. Depression knows no age barrier. In one recent year in our nation, listen to this statistic, 15,000 middle schoolers committed suicide. 15,000, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. It's estimated that for every attempted suicide, there I mean, for every suicide, there are five attempted suicides. That would mean that as many as 75% 1,000 middle schoolers became so depressed. They saw no hope and didn't want to go on. Now, there's no end to the catalyst, the, the thing that can push people into depression. No end to them. I mean, people, every day, people lose their jobs. Couples are divorced. Loved ones die. People get cancer. Children rebel. Friends betray other friends. People tell lies. On and on and on see these pains and hurts are a part of our human experience and being a Christian does not exempt you from them I mean if if this pain was not so common the Bible wouldn't be filled with admonitions like be anxious for nothing casting all your care upon him be angry but sin not and the Bible is full of those admonitions and many more throughout history Even in biblical times, many people suffered from depression Um, in the Bible. Moses, Moses became so depressed, at one point, he asked God to take his life. Elijah, that fiery prophet of God who stood and faced down 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah came so, became so depressed, he crawled up under a juniper tree and prayed that God would just take his life. Jonah, the great prophet that preached a revival in a city of Nineveh, the size of Philadelphia today, and saw a whole city turn to Christ. Jonah became so depressed, he prayed that God would kill him. Saul, Israel's first king, suffered deeply from depression. And even ended his life in suicide. There are some indications, and you have to kind of read a little between the lines, especially in the book of Second Corinthians, that even the apostle Paul struggled with this thing we call depression. Throughout history, David Brainerd, a missionary to the Indians in the late seventeen in the mid seventeen hundreds, a man whose 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 journals the, the The prayer journals of David Brainerd have blessed so many people, but here was a man who constantly had to deal with depression. Abraham Lincoln became so depressed that those in his own family feared that he would take his own life. Winston Churchill called depression a black dog that follows me everywhere I go. Some have said that the greatest preacher since the days of the apostles was a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon, a pastor in London in the mid-1800s and late-1800s mostly. Spurgeon so struggled with depression that he gave one account of his depression. He wrote it down in this way. He said, My spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not for what I wept. Now, I'm speaking to some of you this morning who, in Ruth Paxson's words, Satan has despoiled your wealth, decoyed you from your walk, and disarmed you for your warfare through depression. Some of you are depressed and won't admit it. Some of you are depressed and don't really know it. You don't realize that's the reason things are going on in your life that are going on. So I want to encourage you. And I want to admonish you to deal with your depression God's way. And I want to give you this three-word message that will go through this whole four-part series. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. Well, let's look at the ends of depression. How you get in it. What are the doorways? And I want to call your attention to our text, Psalm 42. Now, we're not sure who wrote this psalm. The heading says... Uh, contemplation of the sons of Korah but that was a that was a, a group of people it's not referring to a specific individual and, and Korah we know was the, uh, the, the sons of Korah led the music under David's kingdom but as well as in some other times also there are some who say it was written by King Hezekiah but I tend to believe what other scholars say that it was likely written by David when he had to flee Jerusalem when his son Absalom rebelled against him and tried to take over the kingdom And that, to me, makes sense of how the psalm is put together. Now, notice how David describes himself in Psalm 42. In verses 1 and 2, he's longing for God and asking, where is God? In verse 3, he's sad and weeping and tired of all the ridicule by his enemies. In verse 4, he he remembers the things he used to do that brought him great joy that he can't do anymore. And in verse 5, he describes his condition this way. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Boy, those are those are two great words. It's one word, first one's one word in the Hebrew and, and the second one, that, that word that's translated cast down and disquieted. What a description of depression. The word cast down in the Hebrew means to sink, to despair, to depress, to bend low. Some other translations say so full of heaviness. So despondent. The New English Bible translates it, how deep I am sunk in misery. The word disquieted means to be in great commotion or tumult. It means to be in an uproar. Other translations translate it, why so despairing? Why so discouraged and sad? Why am I groaning or growing in my distress? Now, that's a, that's a good description of depression. To be cast down and disquieted in your soul. Now, let's look at, here as we begin this series, to see if we can get an understanding. I haven't defined depression for you yet because most of us already know what it means. And as you look at all the books that describe it, that's basically what they do. They describe it. There's not much of a definition going around. But I don't think there's a need for a definition because every one of you know what I'm talking about. Depression is a mental pattern a way of thinking and an emotional state of feeling sad and discouraged and dejected accompanied usually by an overwhelming sense of despair depression nearly always has has a sense of two things with it a sense of hopelessness and helplessness now those are key because nearly always when depression comes it brings with it a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. It's always going to be this way. There's no way out. There's nothing I can do about it. It's always going to be this way. If anything, it's only going to get worse. And there's nothing, nothing I can do. It can come in varying degrees of intensity, as we've talked about. It can last from a few hours to a few days to a few months to, in some cases, even a few years. Or several years for some. Now, the human body and soul and spirit are so meshed together that problems in one area can affect the other areas. It would be an oversimplification to say that all depression is because of some negative event that has occurred. Sometimes there are things going on in our body that can impact our emotions. Things like a thyroid condition, a hormonal imbalance, a reaction to medication, uh, the changes that a woman goes through after childbirth. All of these can negatively affect our emotions and push us toward depression. But sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes it's the problems of the soul, the depression, that can actually cause problems in the body. And sometimes people get it mixed up. The experts, by the way, say that the jury is still out. They don't know when it comes to this thing of a chemical imbalance. Did the chemical imbalance cause the depression or did the depression cause the chemical imbalance? And they don't know. And so they're all tied together. Now, even though the cause may be physical, the biblical principles we're going to be looking at over these four weeks will still be, be extremely valuable in dealing with your depression. And in my opinion, based on the number of people I've talked to, and I'm certainly not a medical expert, but those who are experts say that there's only a very few, very few cases of depression that have a physical cause. There are some, but there are very few. Now, let me share what I believe are the three most common doorways to depression. That is, the ends of depression, how we get there. And these are not exhaustive. There may be others, and these three overlap each other. But I want you to understand how it comes. And then we're going to deal briefly with the outs, though the remaining three messages are going to focus mainly on the outs of depression, how you get out of it. Now, the first end is what I would call unmet expectations. The psalmist in Psalm 42 has some unmet expectations. When it comes right down to it, now this is not going to be easy to swallow but it's true, depression results from self-centeredness and a focus on self. It does. We have some expectations and someone or something did not live up to my expectation. The psalmist expected respect and instead he got Ridicule. In the last part of verse 10, why do they continually say to me, where is your God? Uh, the, and, and the last part of verse 3 uh, says that. The last part of verse 10, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? He expected to go to the temple with the other worshipers and the celebrations and all the joy and excitement. But the last part of verse 4 says... For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. But he could no longer do that. His expectations went unmet. His plans were unfulfilled. His questions were unanswered. His circumstances were unpleasant. And he got depressed. He was so self-focused that he lost sight of God. You also detect a little bit of anger coming through here. Uh, Nearly always those with unmet expectations have anger that deal with it. One well-known psychologist said this, and I thought it was pretty profound. He said, I have never met a person who suffered from depression who did not have some underlying anger. Depression virtually always has repressed anger at its base. My good friend Dr. Charles Solomon says that depression is simply an internal temper tantrum. Now earlier, I used an illustration of three Old Testament heroes. And and as you look at these guys, Moses and Elijah and and Jonah, they were all three self-focused. They focused on themselves. And because of that, their expectations went unmet. Moses, he expected more out of the Israelites than he got. Instead of being grateful to God and grateful to Moses, they were habitual complainers. And Moses just reached his had it point. He, I mean, he'd had it, you know. Somebody said, you, you don't have to be a cannibal to get fed up with people. Well, Moses had been, he'd reached it. He was fed up with these people. They complained all the time. And like the psalmist in Psalm 42, Moses got his focus on people instead of God. And he prayed to die. He became so depressed. Elijah expected the nation of Israel to experience a great revival after the events on Mount Carmel, but didn't happen. He expected perhaps that the king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel would would be converted to worship the one true God. But instead of that, the king ran and told the queen on Elijah, who then put a contract out on him. And said, I'm going to have you killed. And so Elijah, his expectations unmet as he focuses on himself... And he bows down and you can hear his little whimpering voice as he says, Oh Lord, me, me alone, I'm the only one who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And he crawls up under a juniper tree and prays to die. Jonah. <laughs> well, his expectation was for God to fry the Ninevites. He wanted them fried. He wanted them judged. He hated them. And instead, the God whose love was much wider than Israel when these people repented... Withheld his judgment. And Jonah's focus became upon his reputation as a prophet. And the fact that those he hated and was so prejudiced against would not be judged by God. He got depressed and prayed to die. When your expectations, listen to me. When your expectations are not met in your job, in your family, in your ministry, in your own abilities and strength. Then depression will follow close behind. Unmet expectations. A second end of depression is unexpected rejection. I mean, if, if, if this psalm was indeed, as I believe it was, written by David, describing his flight and his exile from Jerusalem, man, you talk about rejection. Here was a guy that his own son, his own son had not only rejected him, but had rebelled against him so much that he tried to take the nation away from David and actually succeeded for a short period of time. Now let me say this, all of us have and will experience rejection. It's a given in this life. It may be rejection from a sports team, a cheerleading squad, a rejection by a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a parent, a child, a friend, a job, even rejection by a husband or by a wife. But rejection is a certainty. And when you've suffered through some major rejection, you better watch out because depression's going to come knocking at your door. Now, the third end of depression, not only unmet expectations and unexpected rejection, but this one is an umbrella that covers the other two. An unscriptural response. Anytime we go through... A painful circumstance, and we don't respond correctly, that is scripturally. The result will be depression every time. Now, the psalmist recognized that he had responded unscripturally to his circumstance. In verse 5, he says, Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And there's a sense of rebuke there. He's doing some soul talk. And he says, so, why are you depressed and down? Why did you respond that way to this circumstance? In verse 11, he says the same thing. Why are you cast down, on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? He recognized that his response to the painful circumstances was the cause of his depression. Did you catch that? He recognized the cause. An unscriptural response. Let me tell you something. Stop. Now this will be hard. Buckle your pew belt. This will be hard to swallow. Stop blaming your circumstances. Stop blaming your painful experiences for your depression. You don't have to be depressed. Now, I need to make sure you understand the difference between grief and depression. Grief is natural. Grief is normal. Grief is godly. But the difference between grief and depression is what I call the hope factor. You see, in grief there is hope. In depression there is hopelessness. In grief there is pain. But in depression there is despair. Now what are some of these unscriptural responses? to our unmet expectations and rejection by others. What are some unscriptural responses? Bitterness. Anytime you turn bitter, you will always be depressed. Bitter people, without exception, are 100% depressed. All of them are. It goes together. You can't separate the two. Here's another one that's universal. Here's an unscriptural response. Self-pity. Self-pity and depression are always linked. We're going to see a lot more about that in weeks to come. What did I do to deserve this? Why did this have to happen to me? I know other people that it never happens to. Why me? Woe is me. Woe is me. Self-pity. Quitting is another unscriptural response to just sort of just withdraw from everything and just close everything off to just quit. Well, here's the point. Don't blame your circumstances, because I can show you some other people who have gone through exactly the same circumstances you're going through, and while they've been grieved, they've never been depressed. Now, the bulk of the remaining messages in this series are going to deal with the outs of depression, but I got—I can't just leave you here. It's depressing. Um, How do you get out? What are the outs of depression? Well, it's found in three words, found in verse 5 and verse 11. See if you can find them. It's in three words. See it right in the middle of verse 5? Here they are. Hope in God. Hope in God. Verse 11, he repeats the same three words. Hope in God. Now, that word hope means to wait upon God. It means to trust in God. It means to look for God, to look for His wisdom, to look for His plan, to look for His comfort when life begins to fall apart. You see, depression always has an element of hopelessness in it. And so God says, as the psalmist says, the solution, the out, hope in God. Dr. M. R. DeHaan tells the story of a preacher who said, My favorite text in the Bible is, It came to pass. I like that text. It gives me so much comfort. It came to pass. Yes, and all my troubles, they came to pass. And they won't last. When I'm sick, I say, It came to pass. When I'm in trouble, it came to pass. Well, it may be a little bit of a simplistic way of looking at it. It may be taking the scripture out of context a little bit. But that's true hope in God to look to Him, to wait on Him, and to realize it's not going to be this way forever. It came to pass. It came to pass. And to recognize that God in His grace is going to bring me through. Now there are three things about God that I've got about two minutes to tell you about. And we'll focus more in on weeks to come. But there are three things about God as we hope in God that we need to focus on. Number one is the sovereignty of God. When we say that God is sovereign, that means that God's in control. I think in my own life, the thing that has brought me out of depression, time after time, and those times when I've been on top of it and not gone into it, but have been tempted to, the one thing about God, the one attribute of God, the one truth about God that brings you out of depression or keeps you from going in is the fact that God is sovereign. He is in control. This is the greatest antidote to depression because it's the greatest antidote to self-pity. You see, when you remove self-pity from the scene, depression begins to fade away. And when I rest in God's sovereignty, I realize that the fact that He has allowed my painful circumstance, He has allowed my unmet expectation, He has allowed my being rejected, because it fits into His plan and what He wants to do in my life when I see everything that happens to me in light of the sovereignty of God that there are no accidents, that every circumstance, everything that happens to me has been father-filtered before it gets to me, then I can say with Romans eight twenty eight that my God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I can obey 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 that says in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Why can I give thanks? Because God loves me and is sovereign and is using this circumstance to conform me to the likeness of his Son. When we see our pain and grief through the lens of God's sovereignty and God's plan, it chases away depression. The sovereignty of God. Secondly, acceptance by God. When we experience rejection, the thing we flee to is the truth. The absolute truth that in Christ Jesus we're accepted by God. Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. As I suffer pain from rejection, I can move on because the God who created me loves me and accepts me unconditionally because I am in His Son, in His Beloved, in Christ Jesus. And then thirdly, I hope in God, His sovereignty, I accept His acceptance, and then thirdly is to come broken before God, brokenness before God. You see, I hope in God, when I allow Him to use my unmet expectations, my unexpected rejection, every uncomfortable circumstance, every painful thing that happens, when I allow God to use that to bring me to the end of myself to a place of brokenness and humility before him I realize that my trials are designed to show me my inadequacy, my need to show me that I must depend completely on him that he must be not just in my life but he must be my life Then the. Circumstance takes on a whole new meaning. The depression begins to lift. Not necessarily the pain, but the depression. The hopelessness begins to lift. You see, the most important thing about a painful circumstance is not that we get out of it, it's what we get out of it. Does it bring us to the end of self? Does it humble us? Does it cause us to come to a place of total dependency upon Him, brokenness before Him? That's what he desires. Hope in God. That is the solution to depression. That's the out of depression. You say, well, that's rather simplistic. Well, you can say that if you want to and just stay depressed. That is the solution. That is the out. Hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. Let's do a little examination. Would you bow your heads, please, and with heads bowed. I wonder how many of you-